coming up. Did the D-backs sleep through that game against the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, it sure looked like it. And how does Josh Rojas fit on this team once he gets back from injury? We're going to discuss all that for you next. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked on Diamondbacks here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24, thatmyportfolio.com. I'm there you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter because I know you want to at Creator Thomas Twenty Four for my personal account, or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks. <clears throat> excuse me, or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. Now, as I mentioned in the cold open, we're going to discuss first with the D-backs loss to the St. Louis Cardinals. Then I want to preview Game Two, do a little keys to the game, like you see Ballast Sports always do in the pregame, and then I want to wrap up the pod by discussing. What do we do with Josh Rojas once he returns to the team? Because I've liked the way Perdomo's looked, and there's so many players with similar skill sets and you know similar talent levels. It's hard to find the 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 playing time for Josh Rojas. Not because he's a bad player or anything, but just because so many players are similar in talent, it's hard to find uh, the the playing time of where Josh Rojas can fit on this Diamondbacks roster. So we'll break that all down for you at the end of the pod. That's how we'll wrap today's pod. But let's first start with the game. I'm recording this at 8.32 p.m. on a Thursday, so it's pretty relatively soon after the D-backs lost to the St. Louis Cardinals 8-3 in the first game of the series. Let me make sure I put my phone on Do Not Disturb because I like to not be distracted when I'm doing this podcast. Felt like the D-backs slept through, uh, not slept through, I mean, it did feel like they slept through that game. It felt like they slept, walked through that game. You could say either or, either slept, walk, or just flat out slept through the game because they basically did uh, nothing until that ninth inning. And I really don't have any grand takeaways from this game outside of the starters and offense for the D-backs was bad while the offense and starters for the Cardinals was good. Like that's my main takeaway. So let's first start with the starting pitching and Humberto Castellanos because he was tortured tortured in the first two innings of this game. Toy Lovello had to pull him out after just two innings because it was going that bad for him. I mean, he gave up five earned runs on five hits in just two innings. I'm sorry, Cassianos. Arenado, who is the cleanup hitter for the St. Louis Cardinals, he had two plate appearances before the third inning. Paul Goldschmidt already had two hits in an RBI, and Tyler O'Neill also had two RBIs before the third inning. So he had one guy with two hits and RBI, one guy with two RBIs, and one guy who had two plate appearances before that third inning. Craziness of what her... Uh, it was crazy how badly Humberto Cassiano started this game and how much damage he was letting up because the Cards offense was jumping all over Castellanos's sinker in this game. That pitch he was throwing, which is his go-to pitch, gave up an average exit velocity of 94.7 miles per hour. Just way too much hard contact by Castellanos giving up tonight. Mostly on his off-speed stuff, which is not what you like to see because he's mostly an off-speed guy. 
Personally, I've never been a big Cassianos guy despite him pitching well this season. And I know he has a pretty big support group, it seems like, on Diamondbacks Twitter as well. I don't know why Diamondbacks Twitter loves Cassianos so much. I was trying to read his scouting report before doing this pod. I was like, let me go back and look. Uh, let me go on MLB.com, look at the top 30 prospects for the D-backs from like 2019 and 2020. I was like, huh, Cassianos is not on this. I was like, oh, yeah, he was drafted by the Houston Astros. Let me go look at the Astros top 30 prospects right after they drafted Castellanos. So you know what? I don't think he was a top 30 prospect for either team. It's not surprising. I don't think Castellanos has elite stuff. Like, I'm not a big sinker ball pitcher kind of guy. I don't really like pitchers whose main pitch or go-to pitch is their, spin- is their sinker ball, especially guys whose sinker ball doesn't average at least 90 miles per hour. Like, if you're going to be a mainly sinker ball pitcher, that has to be around 93, 94, 95 miles per hour. Merrill Kelly could throw that single ball in 92-93 and could throw it very hard and it, you know, obviously sinks as well. Cassianos, that single ball averages around 90, 80, averages around 89.5 miles per hour, right around 90 miles per hour. And I just think if you're trying to do what Castellanos is doing, you're just walking a tightrope almost every game. You have to be perfect inducing ground balls and locating those pitches. And I think it's just not worth it long-term to keep you in my rotation. I think the variance in your game, and I think those pitchers are usually low ceiling as well. So even though Castellanos has pitched well this season, and he still might continue to pitch well long term, I'm not a big Castellanos guy. He's probably a better reliever and long, and better reliever, middle reliever, and long reliever than a long term starter probably for the D-backs. And I wish I could say the D-backs offense took the night off after seeing that start by Castellanos, but they've basically taken the season off so far because, once again, the D-backs were no hit until the sixth inning when Dalton Varsho broke it up with a single. They had four base runners against the Cardinals starter and didn't get a and didn't get a scoring opportunity against the Cardinals starter until the sixth inning. They were one for six with runners in scoring position on the night. They did get something going in the last two innings, but... It was just too little, too late by that point. I mean, I, I I, was just ready for this game to end, and the D-backs were like, let's keep it going a little bit longer. The D-backs continue to love the eighth inning. There was a two-run rope-a-dope by Paven Smith. He got a pretty good launch angle. He had the uppercut swing on that. Good power behind it. It wasn't like a bomb, but it was definitely on a rope, and it was to the kind of like right center. So it was at a pretty deep part of the ballpark as well. So I thought it was a pretty nice swing by Paven Smith, who has been very hot so far this season. Like, go look at Paven Smith's recent stats. I wish I had his splits up here over like the last two weeks. Like, Paven Smith has probably the highest average on the team over the last week and a half, two weeks. So good job by Paven Smith after an infield single by Nick Ahmed, who also had multi-hit game tonight and has been on a little recent hot streak as well for Nick Ahmed. The D-backs had a mini ninth inning rally that felt... Like nothing more than just prolonging the game and just prolonging the inevitable because the rally basically came with two outs, which is which really just emphasized the point that it just felt like they were prolonging the inevitable because Christian Walker started the inning with a double. But of course, Seth Beer and Ketel Marte recorded outs right after um, Christian Walker did that. Now, you did get to see a Carson Kelly single that scored Christian Walker. Which is, you know, hopefully can build the confidence of Carson Kelly because he struck out tonight, didn't look too good at the plate before that. But to see him get a single, you know, through the, I believe it was through the left side of the hole, through the defense, just, you know, just got it under a glove and he got on base and he picked up the RBI. You know, just a good feeling overall for Carson Kelly. Anything that's positive for Carson Kelly at the plate, I'm going to be happy with. So I was glad to see Carson Kelly get an RBI single, even though it came in 
you know, what you would call garbage time minutes, like we call that in the NFL and NBA. Those are basically garbage time minutes for the D-backs, but thankfully Carson Kelly was still able to get an RBI single. Then after that, Nick Ahmed doubled, second and third. Then Perdomo draws a walk, and now it's like, whoa, 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 bases loaded, two outs. Diamondbacks down, eight minus three, down five runs. Are they going to make the comeback? Dalton Varsho strutting up to the plate. No, it never felt like that. And Dalton Varsho on cue, strikes out. Not a pretty game by the D-backs, but it was only game one. The D-backs just won a series after a complete game shutout by Walker Bueller in the first game. Now, tomorrow, we got Wainwright versus Bumgarner, so it could potentially be a pretty good matchup. And we're going to talk about that matchup in preview game two in segment number two. But if the D-backs want to take their mind off tonight's loss and eat something delicious, then they need to go to BuiltBar.com because Built Bar is super delicious. The reason why I love Built Bar is because I'm a health conscious guy. I'm going to the gym every day. I'm working out. I'm lifting weights. I'm trying to, you know, have a little hot boy summer over here. But to lose weight, you have to eat healthy. And I have this dangerous sweet tooth where I always want to eat candy. And Built Bar does a great job tricking me. I think that I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, great for the keto diet. And they have this thing called puffs, which are protein infused with marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're delicious, and like all built bars, covered covered in 100% real chocolate, soft and easy to chew. If you want your own built bar, listen. Just go to build.com, use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. Doesn't look like the D-backs are getting any World Series rings this fall, but if they still want to get a ring for their mom, the best place to do it is BlueNile.com because whether she prefers a statement piece or everyday subtle elegance, BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every mom. Shop high-quality classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. Celebrating the special woman in your life? On BlueNile.com, you can easily navigate thousands of fine jewelry options at every at every price point. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And lockdown listeners, get $50 off a $500 order. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. Use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. Let's discuss the keys to the game for game number two against the St. Louis Cardinals. We got Madison Bumgarner against Adam Wainwright. Kind of a throwback matchup if you think about it. Of course, Madison Bumgarner is not that old in terms of, you know, if you say he's a 32, 33-year-old pitcher, whatever whatever Madison Bumgarner is, that's not that old in terms of, you know, pitchers' ages and whether they could still be in their prime or not. But for Madison Bumgarner, who's been in the league since he's 19, he's old. He's got a lot of mileage on that body, on that arm, even though 32, 33 might not be old in the landscape of baseball. And then Adam Wainwright is 
basically flat out old. Even if you say outside of sports, the man is like 47 years old. I'm being a little hyper hyperbolic, but he is like 38, 39 or 40 years old. And he's coming off a pretty good season. I wish we had probably had a Wainwright over Madison Bumgarner right now because Wainwright all of a sudden had a resurgent season last year. But let's talk about the keys to the game. I got three keys written down here for the game tomorrow. If the D-backs, of course, want to win, because why would you not want to win a game, you know? Unless you're the Cincinnati Reds, of course. But the first key to the game I have, the offense has to stop getting no hit through half the game. I'm not even saying put up eight runs or do what the Cardinals did in the first game and score five runs in the first two innings. I'm just asking not to get no hit through half the game. Tonight, yesterday, the first game of the of the season for the D-backs, like how many games this season have we seen where it's like, man, it's the fourth inning, it's the fifth inning now, it's the sixth inning now, man. D-backs are still looking for their first hit. Like, there's been, what, at least six games this season where they've been no-hit through four or five innings. Like, I don't get how they're doing it. I don't get why they're doing it. Well, I get why they're doing it. They're not a super talented offensive team. I think their talent is not as bad as what they're doing, though. I think, like I've said before, I don't think the D-backs lineup is supremely talented, of course, when compared to the Dodgers or these powerhouse teams. But do I think this lineup is bad? I don't think it's bad. I don't think there's a lot of weak links in the lineup. Like, I think our biggest weak link in the lineup usually is Nick Ahmed. And he's swinging a hot bat right now. Like, when Carson Kelly is all of a sudden my seventh guy and Ketel Marte is my sixth guy because of how they're performing, like, my lineup can't be that bad then. So, why are the D-backs getting no hit so much? Well, guys just aren't stepping up to the plate, and they need to get this offense going earlier if they want to, you know, beat the St. Louis Cardinals. Because coming off that Dodgers, uh, coming off that Dodgers series, if it wasn't for the Dodgers defense, the D-backs would have barely scored any runs that series. Here are some D-back stats over their last seven days entering the first game of the series against the St. Louis Cardinals, and this is in the National League. Second to last in OPS, we have 539 OPS, 11th in runs scored with 22, and at least three of them was probably because of the Dodgers defense, 13th in walks with 17, and 5th in strikeouts with 57. The offense overall from top to bottom has not been performing well. Paven Smith, Perdomo, Nick Ahmed, those guys are swinging a hot bat, but you know who isn't swinging a hot bat? And I'm not talking about Carson Kelly. I'm not talking about Ketel Marte because I've already done two pods this week about how they've been struggling at the plate. The guy I'm talking about is the guy who had number one on my most trustworthy rankings, and he's starting to fall on those rankings because now he's batting below 300 on the season. That is Seth Beer because I don't think any player has struggled more than Seth Beer over the past week and a half. Entering the first game against the Cardinals, Seth Beer was one for his last 17. I probably should have his stats pulled up here of what he did tonight. I think he was probably 0 for 3 tonight. So Seth Beer has not been doing anything at the plate. And this is someone that carried the offense the first, you know, we've talked about it, the first week and a half or whatever. He's responsible for at least three wins so far on this Dimeback season. So if the D-backs want to keep continuing to add wins, then they need someone like Seth Beer who has single-handedly brought them wins this season. He can do it again. He can carry an offense for a week like we've seen, but it shouldn't be all on a rookie uh, DH. Like, we need other guys to step up. Haven Smith is swinging a nice bat. Nick Ahmed is swinging a nice bat. Perdomo's doing a good job of at least getting on the bases. Varsho's tapped into some power, but the D-backs offense is not... The D-backs offense, their biggest problem is not being able to 
Put together multiple hits together, string hits together, get a sequence going, put a crooked number on the scorecard. There's not a lot of four and five run innings for the D-backs. The D-backs don't go out there where you see their number two hitter get a walk, and then their number three hitter gets a double, and then maybe their next guy gets a home run, and then the next guy gets a double. You don't really see that from the D-backs. You don't see boom, 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 hit, 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 or boom, walk, boom. Power shot. You don't see that from the D-backs. You don't see these big offensive sequences from their offense. And it needs to get going against Adam Wainwright tomorrow because he's a pretty good pitcher still, even in the later stage of his career. And he's going to probably be on his game. And another reason why the why the offense needs to be on the game is because Madison Bumgarner, the second key to the game, he can't pitch to his career levels against the St. Louis Cardinals. Bumgarner... He somehow isn't qualified for the ERA leader despite making four starts, which is crazy to me. I know he's only at 18 innings pitch. Some guys are at like 25 innings pitch, but he still made four starts. He still made as many starts as anybody in Major League Baseball. So I think that by himself should qualify him for uh, the ERA leaders. And if he did qualify, he would be fourth in baseball in ERA. But against the St. Louis Cardinals in Bumgarner's career, a 4.4 ERA against the St. Louis Cardinals, or excuse me, I think I have to double check that because I actually think I was looking. I don't know. I don't know why I put down 4.4, but I'm pretty sure Madison Bumgarner's uh, ERA against the St. Louis Cardinals is way higher than 4.4. So just stick with me for a moment because I'm already on baseball reference. I'm already looking at it. Look how quickly I can do it. Okay, Bumgarner. His career ERA against the St. Louis Cardinals, 5.5. I don't know why I wrote 4.4 because even in my head, I knew it wasn't 4.4. I knew it was higher than that. Madison Bumgarner, his career against St. Louis Cardinals, 5.5 ERA. He would be fourth in baseball right now in ERA if he qualified, but against the St. Louis Cardinals in his career, 5.5. So which guy are we going to get tomorrow? Are we going to see the guy who's been a top five pitcher in ERA? Or are we going to see the guy historically who struggles against the St. Louis team? Mad Bum has been working that cutter a lot the last few games, and I think he is coming off his best game of the season where he went five innings pitch and zero earned runs against the Mets. So that does give you some confidence. That is the positive takeaway from Madison Bumgarner's season. But if you want to look at the negative, he has a lot of good results, all his results so far from the season. If you just look at his game log, you're like, oh, he went four innings there, five innings there, one earned run, one earned run, zero earned runs. His game log looks very good. But if you're actually watching these games, you know the defense has helped him out big time. He's been putting runners on the bases. He's been shaky at times up there on the mound, but he's been able to get out of all the troubles he's been in. So can Bumgarner continue to do that tomorrow? Because we know if Bumgarner struggles and if he falters, the haters are going to come back. I might be one of those haters. We'll see. And they're going to say they felt it coming all along because of how Bumgarner looked those first three starts. But if he, you know, gets lit up tomorrow, I'm not going to destroy Bumgarner because he's been solid so far this season. If he puts together a string of bad starts, then we'll have those conversations. But if Bumgarner has a great start tomorrow, then you know what we got to do. We got to start typing up those apology forms because that would be five straight starts where Bumgarner looks great and maybe his ERA will dip below one. Like if that's true, then you have to give it up to, then you have to give Bumgarner his props and that's what we'll do on tomorrow. We'll either be killing Bumgarner or we'll be giving him his flowers. So come back. Uh, I guess not tomorrow because this is Friday's pod. So I guess just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account because I'll definitely be killing or praising Bumgarner on Twitter. So follow me there. Then the last key to the game for me is if it's a close game late and you think you can win the game, 
don't bring Ian Kennedy in to try and hold the game or do whatever in a high leverage moment because I do not want to see him rebuild his confidence in a high leverage moment if the D-backs have a chance of winning tomorrow's game. He needs to go in a timeout right now. He needs to just go sit on the bench for a little bit. I'm not saying, uh, you know, two weeks on the bench or anything like that, but after his last two outings, I'm not ready to see him in a high leverage moment. I think the next time you bring in Ian Kennedy is you bring him in before the eighth inning and like a sixth inning or seventh inning kind of capacity, or you bring him in in a low leverage moment to rebuild his confidence. Like we were saying earlier, garbage minutes, that's when you should bring in Ian Kennedy because I don't want to see him rebuild his confidence in a big moment, not when the D-backs are trying to win. We could... The D-backs could win tomorrow, and then we could say, oh, D-backs won three of their last four games. Are they heating up? We could kind of have those um, pretty unrealistic conversations if we want to. But Ian Kennedy can't come in the game because if he does, I have a feeling that he might blow it. Now, if you want to place a bet on whether Ian Kennedy will blow the game tomorrow, then you need to go to betonline.net because betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss what should the D-backs do with the Josh Rojas because he's been rehabbing in the minor leagues. I'm sure he will be back soon if he's already playing in games on the minor league level. So what should the D-backs do with Josh Rojas once he comes back? Should he move to third? Outfield, where should Josh Rojas play? I think Rojas was probably going to be the everyday third baseman entering the season, but considering how Perdomo has looked, should that be more of a conversation now? I still think Rojas is going to be in a, a I still think Rojas is going to be an everyday player on the squad. He can't hurt the offense any more than it already has. And it's not like the defense outside of the Dodgers series has been lighting it up this year anyway. So there's not really a way Rojas can hurt this team. But how do we get him to an everyday player? How do we get Rojas in the lineup every day? I think what I would do is I would make Rojas a super utility guy once again. Now I know there was a big emphasis on players being at one position entering the year, but Perdomo has shown so much on the diamond that I just want to keep giving him as much opportunity as I can. And he's also shown a lot at the plate. Like, again, his average is not good, but Perdomo just continues to draw walks. He continues to have good plate appearances, and he keeps getting on base. So, And once he gets on base, he's athletic to you know, do the first or third thing, pick up an extra base, maybe get a steal. So Perdomo can do some damages once he gets on the base pass. And I like his approach at the diamond or his approach at the plate as well. So I want to keep giving Perdomo as much opportunities as possible as well. So how do I get both Josh Rojas and Perdomo in the lineup at the same time? Well, this is what I would do. On the days, righties, on the days there's a righty on the mound that the D-backs are facing, I would probably put Rojas at third base and put Perdomo at shortstop and probably sit Nick Ahmed. Now, Ahmed, 
is historically bad against righties, and it's not fair or fun for Perdomo to be the one to, you know, take advantage of that matchup because he's a righty as well. So he's going to have to do the little righty on righty thing, which I know the D-backs hate, but we can look at this as a learning experience for Perdomo. He can work on his hitting against righties. We still get his athleticism in the uh, we still get his athleticism in the lineup and his defense in the lineup. And you also get Josh Rojas now at third base, who's going to be a lefty in the lineup. So you still get that cross matchup advantage that the D-backs absolutely love. Rojas held his own defensively at third last year, so he should be fine from a defensive standpoint. Plus, he'll be on the left side with Perdomo, who will just mask a lot of those issues probably. And then I think you probably go with your normal lineup outside of that. Um, against, you know, your normal lineup when righties are on the mound. So probably Pavin and Peralta in the outfield and Seth Beer and whoever else you want to put out there. So I think you probably go with your normal lineup when there's a righty on the mound. You're just putting Perdomo at third base, probably sitting Nick Ahmed and then putting, uh, or putting Perdomo at shortstop, putting Rojas at third base and then probably sitting Nick Ahmed. And also, Alcantara is not factoring into my decision at all in these discussions. Like, we'll see if the D-backs even keep him on the bench once Rojas comes back, but I don't know if he's long for the tooth. But what if there's a lefty on the mound? What should the D-backs do? I think I would move Rojas to either DH or the corner outfield spot. Rojas's average in OPS was actually better against lefties last season, if you could believe that. If you start Luplo and Hummel and Varsho in the outfield, then you could put uh, Rojas at DH and spell Seth Beer and Seth Beer probably needs at this point of the season just because he's probably starting to hit the rookie wall just uh, a month into the MLB season so you don't love to see that and on the days you want to give uh, Varsho a rest or Varsho's you know maybe he's giving Carson Kelly a spell at catcher they could put Ro they could put Rojas in the corner outfield spot with Luplo and Hummel but overall I think this D-backs team like I was saying earlier uh, to start the pod the D-backs have so many similar skilled players. The team wants to take advantage of those cross matchups, so it's hard to find playing time for everyone on this D-back squad. But I would expect Rojas to be in the lineup probably around 90% of the time, regardless of who's on the mound. I would expect Rojas to be at third like 75% of the time and probably outfield DH like 25% of the time. Perdomo and Ahmed could do more of a timeshare at, at shortstop to even out their playing time if Rojas is playing third base, you know, almost every day. I think the D-backs are also really invested in developing Rojas, and they should be because he's gotten better every season. He's currently probably their best asset from that Granky deal, which I don't think anyone expected considering he was the worst prospect thrown into that deal. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure he gets every opportunity he needs to reach his ceiling. I think this season will be a big evaluation to determine Rojas's ceiling, his realistic ceiling, and what role Rojas will have in the future of this D-backs team, both on the diamond and in the lineup. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Shout out to everyone who tuned into today's podcast. Go back and catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. Of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. Come back next week for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!